Good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. Let's go ahead and stand to worship. How many know that we have the victory in Jesus Christ? Amen. Let's sing this declaration unto the Lord. Amen. falls, it won't prevail, cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph, and my God will never fail, no, my God will never fail, I'm gonna see a victory, I'm gonna see a victory for the this morning. The battle belongs to him, but the victory is ours. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's declare. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. In every war he wages, he will win. So I'm not backing down from any giant. tell you this morning that whatever the devil meant for your harm, God is going to turn around and use for your good this morning. Do you believe it? The Bible says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We got to believe that this morning. Let's make this declaration. Amen. We speak for safe. You take what the enemy turn it for good. You turn it for good. Yes, he does. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Let's declare as one body. Come on. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for Come on, let's go. You take what the 
Thank you, Jesus. We worship you this morning. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here in this place. Would you have your way today? And God, we posture ourselves at your feet. We come with an attitude of, of Mary, not Martha. We put aside all the busyness and um, the things that are distracting us today. And we just sit at your feet. And we listen. Intently focused on you and your voice. And who you are. And what you're saying. And who we are in you. We are your children. Whether we feel like it or not, you call us your children. And I thank you that every time we're in your presence, we never leave the same. You engrave something new on our hearts that changes our destiny, it changes our DNA to become more like you and who you've created us to be. So that's our heart today is to sit at your feet and to say, have your way, do in me what needs to be done. Remove the old and replace with the new. We thank you, Jesus. You see what's hidden under the surface. You see the beauty under the tarnish. You will find it far what you call gold. You will find it far what you care. Find me here in your presence. I'm not leaving the same. Let your refining fire purify me again. Let the weight of your glory bring me back to my knees. Oh, God, come with revival. You can start it in me. You have your purpose, you see the outcome. You have intention, you're bringing freedom. You will find in fire what you call
Father, that is our heart cry started in us. Use us to be your instruments of righteousness on this earth. Not only giving your life in us and living it in us, but you want to live it through us. Lord, we are grateful that you would humble yourself Ride into town on a donkey in your greatest moment, your triumphal, triumphant entrance, and you come in on a donkey. You could have come in a myriad of ways that were more glamorous and glorious. You could come in with swag. You could have come in with bravado, but you came in on a donkey. Thank you for flipping the world upside down so that the kingdom is right side up. And we are grateful, grateful for your presence here today. Lord, as we celebrate, celebrate this week, and commemorate what unfolded where you moved from the place of being the son of man to the son of God. So Lord, as we celebrate Passover and Palm Sunday, And we lean into what this week meant for you, Lord. Give us grace to use our sanctified imaginations, to image, to imagine what it must have been like for you. We are eternally, literally, we are eternally grateful. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. You can be seated. Great to see everybody this morning. We, I have to tell you, you walked into some residue this morning because we had an amazing first service, such a sweet time together. So you walked into, your seat should be warm right where you are. So you're welcome for the first service. Thanks for being here. My name's Jimmy Pruitt. I'm the lead pastor here at the bridge. And uh, we're thrilled that you're here and excited. I said to the first service, I mean this to you as well. It always feels like a homecoming on Sunday morning. So I love seeing everybody, seeing our family. 
and celebrating what God's up to and, and also working together, lifting each other's arms up to the difficult times and the hard days as well. And so we celebrate those mountaintops, amen, we're grateful for them, but we also learn what it means to rejoice in the valleys together, and we do it together because we're better together, amen. So good to see you. Again, my name is Jimmy Pruitt. I'm the lead pastor. If you're new here, it's your first time out. Thanks for being with us. We also have an online crew that's watching right now, our online family. And we want to say hi to you guys and welcome. We love you guys and appreciate it. If you're watching on Facebook, tag in. Let us know where you're at. So every time I go back through this afternoon and read those and read your comments, it's always, first of all, it's a massive encouragement. But second of all, it reminds me to pray for you by name. So just to do that and all of our other folks that see that, we want to pray for you. In fact, speaking of prayer, if you're online and you have any prayer requests or prayer needs, you'll see on the screen there's an email address, info at bridgefpg.com. You can write in your prayer request. We'll get that out to our prayer team, and we are honored that you would trust us with your prayer needs. And so we want to pray for you and hold your arms up. And so for those of you that are here as well, uh, if you have any prayer needs or prayer requests, you can stop by the Connect Center on the way out. It's just those doors on the left, and you can fill out a prayer card, and that will go to our team. And, again, it's our privilege. It's our honor. We love to pray for you. So uh, if you have anything, we want to stand with you and hold your arms up. So let's welcome our first-time guests, both online and here in the house, with a hand clap. Also, if you're here today, Wendy's got a gift for you. She's got a, a she's going to bring it to you personally. She has a bag, and this is a gift bag. that we, All it is is we're saying thank you for blessing us with your time, and, and we want to honor your time and give you something to take with you. So it's got all kinds of goodies in it. So if you're new here, feel free to stop by the Connect Center, fill out a Connect card, and our awesome folks out there on our host team will get that to you so that you can be encouraged with that. So, again, thanks for being here. And then also we always want to continue in a spirit and attitude of prayer and that is through our, we use a tool called the VIP card. That means very important person or very important people. And, you know, there are people that God puts in your heart. And so some of us have taken this little card, this little tool, which you can get at the Connect Center on the way out. Just pick one up and, uh, and put those names down. It helps sometimes for me to remember things by writing them out and then having this handy and with me at all times. So I keep it uh, tucked into my Bible jacket there. So um, on the front side, we're praying for those seven people who need Jesus, who need salvation, who need to come to a, a saving knowledge of Christ. On the other side, we're praying for people who, for reconnection. And maybe they've, for whatever reason, life has happened, they're just not where they're supposed to be. And that sort of reminds me of something for those of you watching online. If you're local and you're healthy and you feel good and you're ready, we would love to have you back in the house. And so I see some faces here today. It's the first time back. Yes, I'm talking about Doug and Renee, so it's good to have you guys. It's thrilled to have you back, and so just thank you for coming back. But others, it's time to come back. But those of you who have health concerns, obviously, we have massive grace for that, and we understand. But for those of you who can, come on back. We'd love to see you in the house. We'll make room. We'll add more chairs. We'll do what we need to do. And uh, so we want to pray for these that are on our card. But we also want to remember we've started doing our Church of the Week. When COVID hit, we were praying more generally for all the churches. Now we're uh, going back to our list. And we want to pray this weekend for Pastor Casey and Lucinda Zesh. They are the coolest people ever. I mean, they are fun to be around. They're wonderful people, great pastors, love this community, love this city, and uh, they love their church, Bethany Lutheran Church, and we love them. And so we want to pray for them and hold their arms up. So would you join me in prayer? Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up Pastor Casey and we lift up Lucinda. What a, what a gift they are to our community. 
some of the most precious humans I know. They're amazing. So we hold them up, bless them as they continue to lead, and as Bethany continues to regather momentum after a, a pretty long layoff, and as they reopen their doors and reopen, Lord, I pray that you would flood them with people, and you would overrun them. I pray they'd have to go to multiple services and bless them, Lord, with, with people that are ready to, to get moving again. So we hold them up and appreciate their gift. They are the gift to this community, not just what they do and what they bring, but they're the gift themselves. So we hold them up. We pray for their precious church. We pray for other churches that are gathering today all over our community, all over the hill country. And we ask God that you would, as we, we prayed a minute ago, would you send revival, send spiritual awakening, Release an outpouring of your presence and your spirit that is unprecedented in our area. We pray for it. We declare it. We believe it so. And, Father, we pray for our nation as well. Your word tells us that we're to pray for those in authority. So we pray for our president and their team. And, Father, I'm praying for salvation to be released all across our government, both local, state, and federal, Lord, that there would be a revival and a spiritual awakening in our civil government, that, Lord, just because they carry civil government doesn't mean they can't carry spiritual government as well. So we pray for them and ask for righteousness, justice, and truth to reign and prevail. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen and amen. Thank you for joining me in that prayer. And then also, we want to um, always let you know we have safety exits right there. Yes, this is where I go into steward mode. And so we have exits right there just in case. And we have one in the back by the sound production booth and then out that double door as well. So there's exits all over the place. We appreciate our safety team, and they like it when we tell you that. So that's just for all of your safety. Also, to let you know, what is next weekend? Can you believe it already? Easter's here. Can you believe it? Now, two years ago, not last year, we're just going to like delete last year, right? Talk about cancel culture. We're canceling last year. So it was just us here. We, were, we had a big party right here. We had a great time, all 14 of us. And uh, the production, us, and you guys were at home in your pajamas, you know, probably with a mimosa or something watching, you know, watching and enjoying. So, uh, no, none of our people. So anyway, so it was so different last year and so strange. But this year, I'm beyond excited that we get to gather again. The year before, we had nearly 700 people in here. And so we're doing two services, not three. And we're going we're gonna to fill in some space. we got more room, and we're going to open this wing back here. So we're going to keep our services this year at our regular time, 9 a.m. and 1045. You could do us a massive favor, you who are in the second service, who like to sleep in a little bit later. I get it. Totally feel you on that. But on one Sunday of the year, it would really help us if a whole bunch of you would come in the first service. I know it's a big ask. It's 9 o'clock instead of 1045, right? But I'm asking, would you come to the first service? Now, what will be weird is if everybody shows up in the first service. We have 15 people in the second service. But what we're doing is we're making room for our guests. And uh, so if, if that will work for you, if it won't, no shame in the game. It's okay. Not upset. I get it. So, but if you can, would you help us out with that? That'll free up a lot of space for our guests that we want to introduce to Jesus and introduce to the culture that God's building here. So anyway, with that, we'll move forward. Um, what a week. I mean, we get to celebrate and commemorate what Jesus has done. And again, I'm marked by the fact that he came on a donkey when he could have come any other way. 
Isn't that beautiful, church? As we turn our attention and our heart to communion, I want us to lean into this a little bit, and this thought that Jesus' triumphal entry, his, his big moment, his 15 minutes of fame of coming into town, he rode in on a donkey, not a stallion, not a quarter horse, not an Arabian. I mean, he came in on the most humble animal he could have. He picked it. And isn't it interesting that Jesus seemed to be a lot about humility? And I used to say that that the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, but then it dawned on me one day, that means we're right side up. So I had to flip that. The kingdom is right side up. We're an upside-down world. We've got it backwards. We celebrate swag and bravado and we, it was celebrityism. We worship celebrities and athletes and, and people who are in the news and on the TV. And Jesus came in and said, it is not about that. In fact, it is none about that. Came in on a donkey to prove a point and to set precedent for how we're to live our lives. So as we receive communion this morning and participate, in fact, if you're here this morning and you've not received a cup or didn't pick one up on the way in, if you want to participate with us, we practice open communion here. And uh, we've got some folks in the back. We've got a helper there, awesome. We've got Amy and Jason as well. They're coming our way. If you would raise your hand, they'll get this cup to you. And again, we practice open communion here. Maybe you've never received communion before. This would be a great time to start. And I want to invite you to do something. We ask this of everyone. Scripture says we're to examine our heart. I see that as opening our heart. So I would invite you to examine and open your heart to what God may have for you. Because God sees the potential in you before you even see yourself. Now, if you're here, I'm going to attempt to do this one-handed because my other my microphone fritzed out. So I'm going to, this could be fun. So if you'll take the top piece first, the clear, and open that. Here comes the fun one. Now, if you'll open the gold now, and that'll expose the juice. Yes, I'm going to see a victory. I saw one right there. Some of you got that. So on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples, as he often was, and they were celebrating a fellowship meal together. That word koinonia and fellowship, it actually has a festive, a festive element to it, celebratory in nature. And they were enjoying one another and enjoying their time together. And Jesus took that moment to mark the moment because he said, when you're together like this, like what? like they were, together enjoying one another. He said, when you come together like this, he said, I want you to remember me. At that point, they were not sure what was about to unfold in that following week. But it marked the beginning. The beginning of a transition from the Son of Man to the very Son of God. And it led up to what we're going to celebrate next week. That is his death, his burial, 
And as Paul Harvey used to say, and now for the rest of the story, his resurrection. And we're going to celebrate that next week. Well, we celebrate it every week. Amen. So he picked up a piece of bread, which is probably matzah bread. It's an unleavened bread. He held it before him. He said, this is my body. And the interesting interesting things, I used to say broken for you because I'd heard somebody say that. But when I checked the scripture and a brother actually came to me and said, you know, it doesn't really say broken. It says given. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you're right. Thank you. Still teachable. So I don't say that anymore. I say his body given for you, not taken, but given. So as we settle in to what unfolded for Jesus this week, can we just for a moment pause and give thanks for the bread, his body given, the the juice which represents the blood of Christ shed for us for the remission of sins, the removal of sins. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we are thankful for your son, thankful for sending him. Thank you. You gave the best you had for us. You gave your own son. Jesus, thank you for being a willing participant. Nothing was taken against your will. You gave your life and laid it down for us so that you could release your presence, your spirit, the one we call holy, across the earth all at one time, starting with Pentecost, then in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, for the Gentiles. Thank you. Thank you for the greatest gift. And Father, right now, we're doing what your son asked us to do. He asked us to remember when we're together like this, so we remember. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take the element. Our folks are going to come by. We have some trash receptacles. They'll bring them by for you. And if you'll just hang on to your cups until they come by, they'll get that for you. Now, right now, we want to dismiss our children to their Bridge Kids class. We want to pray over them before they go. So would you join me in prayer? And just they're going to keep working their way around so you can work with that. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for our children. They are gifts like arrows in the hands and the bow of a master archer. You take them and you place them, you shoot them, you fire them into this culture, into this world, knowing full well they're going to hit the target. So we pray, Lord, God, give us the grace to steward their destinies well. We bless them. We thank you for our teachers, our facilitators, our helpers. Would you bless and encourage them today and anoint them with grace to love these kids to life. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. If your hands are free, can you clap for our kids as they go to their class? We're going to head that way. Amen. And now we're going to celebrate generosity and our giving. And I love this part because this is where we get to show you what we're up to and what's going on and and some of the ministries that we're blessed to support. You'll see ways to give up there. For those of you that give online, thank you very much. That's very helpful. For those of you who came prepared to give today, if you're new here, we don't pass the plate here. We actually have receptacles, black boxes on the door. Uh, jams over there and then also over there and we're going to worship and sing and celebrate and as we do that you'll be dismissed at that point to go and you can give your offering there and I just ask a simple favor would you bless it when you give it
Just say in the name of Jesus, I bless this for the kingdom, for the use of the kingdom. And so I want to get your eyes on something. We do this every week. I want to show you the ministries we are blessed to support. And you see all the various names up there. And these represent ministries in, in Mexico, in Africa, around the world, literally. And, and we are able to, by grace, uh, get the word out, get life out, get the gospel out across the world. And you make it possible. And all these ministries are blessed because you're faithful in your giving. And never forget, you're not giving to the church. We, all of us, give through the church and then distribute it out under this leadership of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of stewardship. So what a privilege. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship as you give, and let's celebrate Jesus. Father, we honor and bless you, and thank you so much for the privilege of giving today. We give first of our heart and our lives, and then our resources. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Just the name. 
Jesus. We lay down all that we try to hold on to, placing our trust in the only firm foundation there is in this universe. And that is you, Jesus. That is you. trust I will build my life in you you are a firm foundation Lord and I will put my trust be shaken though we are surrounded though we are crushed on every side we will not be shaken Jesus, we lay down our lives. We repent and turn from everything but you. Everything but you, Lord. So, Lord, we give you thanks. We put our trust firm foundation in the cornerstone. We can do no other, Lord. And now as Pastor Jimmy comes, breathe your breath of life into his words to find a place in people's hearts, in our hearts. Take root, the river of life flows, and we praise your name. Amen. You may be seated. Please direct your attention to the screen.
We're going to continue talking through the Beatitudes and looking at what Jesus did. It's interesting to me that when Jesus went up to the what's called the Mount of the Beatitudes, it was actually a ridge up on a hill that overlooks what's known as the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. It's the Lake of Galilee. And we were privileged to go there a while back, a number of years ago. And we went up to, of course, with a tour group, you know, so it was everybody with cameras and backpacks and all that. And we went out to see where the Sermon on the Mount was delivered, which, by the way, is one of the greatest discourses ever. And so, it, it, in fact, it takes up three full chapters in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, the full chapters. And it is loaded with practical living, practical opportunities. There's a lot of implications. won't go too deep with that yet. But I wanted to share with you, when we walked out to that ridge, I also learned that that was where Jesus, when he would withdraw to a lonely place, the Bible calls it, or a desolate place, or a barren place, it was actually that hillside. And I don't know what your thoughts are of Israel and pictures you've seen, but most of us see Israel as this desert. It's just barren and full of rocks and dirt and a few sheep out on a hill. And, you know, we just have these interesting thoughts about what it actually looks like. Jordan River is just a trickle nowadays. It's not very big and it's diminished in its flow. And so there's a tendency to think that it's just all desert. But actually, when you're standing up on the hill, on the Mount of the Beatitudes and looking out over the lake, it's absolutely stunning. There's a green belt all the way around from Capernaum, all that area, Cana, all of that whole area is beautiful and lush and green. And you can just see life and you can imagine how Jesus was inspired throughout his lifetime growing up in the Galilee. He grew up there, not in Israel, not in Jerusalem, not in Judea in the southern. He grew up in the northern part where it was absolutely stunning and beautiful. So I liken it now to uh, the southern kingdom and Jerusalem looks a little more like West Texas or the plains. And, and uh, the northern kingdom, the northern area, actually looks a lot more like Colorado to me. It's absolutely beautiful. Jesus up on that hillside looking out. Now, you have to understand, too, the times and what was happening. See, Jesus cause no small stir when he began to speak and when his ministry began to go public and people began to realize who this guy was. And so the word began to spread. And now there is two situations going on. First of all, the hammer of Rome was always a threat because they were brutal. They were tyrannical. They were mean. They, 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 were, they dominated like, like a hammer over the people of Israel. And so any disruption, it could bring the hammer down. And so the Jewish people at this time were living in constant fear, constant stress. And then on the other side, you had the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the Sanhedrin down in the southern kingdom who governed all affairs among the people, both religious and secular. And so now you've got two oppressive systems bearing down on a group of people, very humble people, who had already been through devastation and loss over the centuries. And here they are, God's chosen people, knuckled under by religion and politics. And they were trying to live under the weight, the massive weight of this. 
No talks of freedom, no discussions of in Christ you're free. That had not happened yet. They were still living under an old system, an old covenant. And oh, would you rue the day if you broke any of the 1,100 commandments that were out there. So you have to understand, they were living underneath this oppression, and then along comes a guy who seems to be free as a bird. In fact, this guy that was causing such disruption and turmoil, because here's the thing, the religious leaders were caught in the middle. Their job was to maintain the status quo and keep the people in line so that the Roman officials didn't have to do anything. So there was this tap dance between the religious leaders and the political system. I know that doesn't happen in our time. I know nothing like that. I mean, you know, that was way back then. In human nature, we've come so far, right? We're no longer like that. So they, they had this dance that they had to do, give and take, compromise, give in, give a little here, take a little there. And this continued on and on. That's all they knew. And so they were trying to live up under that. In comes Jesus. He shows up on the scene. And he's this teacher who is now causing no small stir. I think it's ironic that he's the prince of peace, and he's causing a lot of disruption at the time. Because he became a threat to both systems, the political system and the religious system. Can you imagine that, Jesus being a threat to the religious system? If we're honest we would have to say he's still a threat to our religious systems. Amen? It's not always easy to acknowledge. If Jesus walked in, would we know the difference? If he left the building, would we know the difference? I hope so. So they were underneath this. They were oppressed, and Jesus shows up on the scene promising things talking about another way of living, another way of life. And so he comes to the Mount of Beatitudes, and a whole big group of people follow him out there, and he sits down, which is a posture of teaching. They didn't stand at a pulpit or anything like that. They sat to teach. As he sat down on the hillside, all, there was a smattering of people all over the hill looking out over the lake, and then his disciples come to him, those that he had called to himself. So you had these onlookers that were wondering, listening, wanting to see what this new teaching was, and then you had his disciples, his inner circle. And this is where we pick up the story. Now, just to give you a heads up, the word beatitude is a strange word, and if you don't know what it means, then you don't know what it means. So beatitude is this. It's a, it's a, a Latin word, and it literally means blessedness. That's all it means, blessedness. And it means this. Each beatitude implies a current state of happiness or well-being. Now, I want you to notice something. A current state of happiness or well-being. That is what blessedness is. We would say to be blessed. You are blessed. That means a current state, not a someday state. See, Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, let me just get this out there because one day it's going to be amazing. One day you'll have peace. One day you'll be able to breathe. And one day you'll be able to enjoy God enjoying you. One day, someday. That isn't what he said. He said his current, current in nature, current state. And this expression, as you can see on the screen, held a powerful meaning of a divine joy 
and complete happiness to the people of Christ's day. They utterly understood it. So that when it was said, this is a beatitude, they completely understood. This means this is something that is life-giving. And you can imagine as he opened his mouth to begin the Sermon on the Mount, that all ears, all eyes were on him, all ears tuned in. They were listening for hope because they didn't have a lot of hope going on right then. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he saw the people, there's his disciples. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We did that lesson last week. We taught on that. We unpacked that. And it's rich with meaning. I would encourage you to go back and watch that online. You can find that on Facebook or our website. But go back and pick that up if you didn't. Now he says this. We're going to go to the next one. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I told our worship team, I said, I said, the subject of today is going to at first sound really depressing and kind of a bummer. It's not like this lot of fire with this title. We're going to call this, you're blessed in your mourning. Like, ooh, okay. But here's the thing. For real, our culture right now is collectively in a place of mourning and grief. And you may not even notice it. In fact, it's subtle and it's under the surface and it brings cultural fatigue. Anybody felt tired lately? Am I the only one? Thank you. I saw a couple of hands. The rest of you are not telling the truth. There you go. Thank you. There's a fatigue that sets in. It's a, it's a demotivated. It's, it's, a, it's concerns about you lose sleep. You're not sleeping like you used to. Things are not on. It's like being in a fun house at the fair and everything's just a little off center. And you're not sure how to navigate that. Another piece of that is that we struggle we struggle with motivation and having energy to go and do and because here's our concern. We don't know if the world is ever going to be right again. We don't know if anything's ever going to get back to normal. What is normal anyway? I mean, we say that. Oh, well, when things get back to normal, sometimes we forget that normal wasn't all that great either, but at least it was better than what we just had in the last 14 months. So we're wondering if the world is ever going to get back to normal, a semblance of normal. I got super excited when the mask mandate was lifted and the restrictions and people could go back to 100% capacity. And I got super excited until I kept walking into the stores and being told to put my mask on. I'm like, well, well, wait a minute. Did you not hear the same announcement I did? I mean, it didn't go back to normal, and I thought it would. And here we are in 2021 thinking, we were hoping when we turned the corner on January 1 that things would go back to normal. We're getting a new year, a new beginning, and now I'm saying almost in April, well, maybe we're almost, we're starting to see what I'm saying. And it's almost a futility that we feel. What that creates in us is a sense of loss. We've lost a way of life. We've lost, listen. I want to encourage you to do something with grief. If you haven't identified this yet, just sit with it. This, I've had a lot of grief. I've had to deal with grief through the years. I've had some loss, family. In fact, when my mom was 45 years of age, she had a massive coronary congestive heart failure. And she hung on for a couple of months in the hospital 
contemplating transplant. She wasn't a good candidate, and she died at 45. That was a profound loss. We didn't see it coming. You know, you think mom's going to live forever, right? She's mom. She's the matriarch. She's held everything together. She's, you know, you just don't think about that when you're a college student that your mom's going to pass away at 45 years of age. I remember sitting down with somebody because I didn't, I was so religious. I was so spiritual. I didn't know it was okay to grieve. I didn't know I I could mourn. So I was being tough. She's in a better place. You know, man, I can't wait to get there myself. You know, I mean, I just talked myself and completely denied what everything in my body was telling me, everything in my mind, until I'm sitting in a Greek class and something hits my paper on the desk and I look down and it's water. I was so numb, I did not even realize my eyes were leaking. Tears were just started to go, poof. and it was like a faucet came on. And I had denied grief for months. And I had a very understanding professor who came over. He dismissed the class. I didn't move. The bell did ring. It was that time. He said, hey, everybody, oh, go on, go on. And he walked over me, he put his shoulder, oh, gosh. He put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, it's okay to grieve. It's okay. So you need to sit with this and let it come. The dam broke. Boom. It is like stuff had just backed up. I am certain in many of our lives right now, we have stuffed what we have felt for the last year. And no amount of ranting on Facebook is going to help you. It just doesn't. It's not the same. I learned over the years that you can sit with your feelings and experience them almost from a distance. It's almost a a detachment where it now is there, and you realize, I'm not going to judge that emotion because it's just an emotion. It's not me. It's an emotion. It's something that's there, and by objectifying it, I was able to now navigate it with a little bit of space, just enough room to breathe, just enough room to press pause on the drama. And I suspect there are people right here, right now, who need to sit with their mourning right now, and you may not even know you're doing it. I'll talk more a little about that in just a minute. Let's get into the Scripture because I want to show you something that maybe you've not realized about the heart and the nature of Jesus in terms of grief and mourning. So we're going to go from Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, to John chapter 11, verse 32. Let me set this up for a moment. Jesus had some beautiful close friends. One of those was a group, a family. It was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And they were all siblings, and he loved them dearly. They lived together in a little community called Bethany, which was not very far from Jerusalem. In fact, when we were in Jerusalem, you could see Bethany from Jerusalem. It was not a far hike. Because the atmosphere was so volatile, 
with the political situation, the religious situation, it wasn't always safe for Jesus to go into Jerusalem. So he wouldn't stay there. He would go in and then he'd speak or minister or whatever, and then he would come back out and he would stay at Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus. And it was there where we saw the story where Martha was busy trying to get together food for all of the disciples. So my grandmother, I'm just saying. She was the martyr for the family. She was getting it all done. God bless Martha. And then she got really upset with Mary because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, in her mind, not doing anything. And Jesus says, look, Martha, Mary's chosen the best part. It's not going to be taken away. She was posturing herself as a disciple. So we know that story from that. But there's another story, another account that happened. And it was when Jesus was in another place and he gets word that his friend, Lazarus, has fallen sick and he dies. One of his best friends. And you would think that Jesus would mount up and beat a path to Bethany. But he didn't. He waited. He tarried. If there's anything I've learned about Jesus, he moves at the speed of God's speed. That's about zero to three miles per hour. The average human walks at an average gait of three miles per hour. That's moving it. That's moving. And Jesus lived at about zero to three. He never ran. Even in this moment, you would have thought he would have beat a path over there. And you'll see why he didn't in just a minute. So we pick up the story. He now has word, and guess what happens? Mary shows up in verse 32 of John chapter 11. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she did what she did before. She fell at his feet. The last time she sat at his feet, now she falls at his feet, overwrought with grief, mourning, emotion. To where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound almost like blame? If you had been here. In other words, you weren't here. But if you had had been, he wouldn't have. You know, we do a lot of things in our grief. (sighs) Hurt people. Hurt people. Broken people tend to break people. And in her grief, she says this. She lashes out. It's just her emotions. She's just overwrought. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The word is compassion there in the English, but it literally means to be moved in your gut. It's to be wrenched in your gut. It was gut-wrenching. That's what real compassion is. Like like if I see a commercial of those little doggies that are real pitiful in a cage, and they're playing this Sarah McLaughlin music, and I I just, I've got, yeah, I mean, I start start tearing up. Oh, honey, we need another dog, you know. She's like, no, (laughs) we're done with dogs. We got two, and they, they run our family anyway, so no, we're not getting more. And uh, that's a level of compassion, but this is a whole nother level. Biblical compassion is defined as literally gut-wrench, gut-wrenching. Jesus is gut-wrenched. But I want to note something. He's not gut-wrenched over Lazarus. He's gut-wrenched over Mary's emotion and the others. 
I'll show you how this works. Look. Verse 34. And he, Jesus, said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus then wept. He wept. So when my mom passed away, I remember I got to spend two months with her before she passed. She was not a candidate for a transplant, so we had time. We didn't know how much, but we had time. And her heart was just gone, basically, and so they were just keeping her alive. And so I took the night watch, so I sat with her through the nights at the hospital. And I remember sitting on that little porta potty thing, you know, they've got in there. I'm thinking, man, this is really weird. I'm sitting on a porta potty, writing in my journal in the dark, and then when she wakes up, I'd rub her legs because she'd had bad circulation just, just to try to tend to her. But we had some of the most amazing conversations that I will treasure forever. And that's when I started journaling, actually. I started writing down all everything that was happening, the sounds of the monitors and the oxygen. And I just took all that in. Talk about sitting with it. I took it all in and wrote it all down. And in that time, I wept with her. We knew she was going to go. We just didn't know when. I had to get back to school, so I drove back to college, and then I got a call four days later that she had passed. And I wept then, too. But interesting enough, the full throttle release hadn't happened yet because I hadn't been sitting in that Greek class like I was telling you earlier. So the funeral comes up. My brother and I actually sang at the funeral. We participated together. And I didn't weep for my mom because by that time I was already beginning to realize this, it just is what it is. But when I saw everyone else weeping, she was well-known in our community because she worked at the bank, and, you know, our bank's the center of the community in a small town. And so she knew everybody. Everybody knew her. And so it was a huge funeral. And I just remember seeing all my friends from high school, all my teachers, everybody in town. And I watched them weep. And when I saw them weep, I wept. And it was just this morning as I was reading back through this, I realized that's exactly what Jesus did. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus because he knew. He trusted. And for Lazarus, think about it. It's a win-win gig right here. Think. He was already experiencing the other side. We don't know all the dynamics of that. But can you imagine being over there and then suddenly getting called back and going, wait, I don't know if I want to go or not. I like it up here. I can just picture Lazarus saying, nope, no thanks, I'm good. I'm going to stay here. But no. Whatever happened, he had died. This wasn't a resuscitation. It was a resurrection. He was dead. In fact, we'll see how that plays out. Jesus wept. Here's what I want you to know, family. He weeps with you too. I'm talking to every individual in here and every individual watching online. You need to understand he weeps with you. Not because of you but with you. He sees the greatness. He sees the seeds of potential that are in you. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what you're to become. He doesn't judge you on where you are now. He's not judging your ever move, judging your ever thought. Judge, Man, we're so caught up on hell, we can't even live free enough to enjoy the fact that he enjoys us. 
because we're so worried about burning for eternity, we miss the life that's here right now. If you're in Christ, you're good. And you can live forward from that. And again, you can enjoy him enjoying you because he does enjoy you. I figure he looks down at me and goes, well, that's my boy Jimmy. Oh, my gosh. Okay. We're going to have to get him out of this one now. So, I mean, he, he just, but he works with us and helps us navigate this world. Look what happens. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. They missed it. He was weeping over them, not over Lazarus. And they were like, oh, he's so moved. And I'm crying for you. I'm weeping for you. I love you. That's my Jesus. That's the one I know. Not the one that's waiting for me to mess up, waiting for me to make a mistake, waiting for me to step off out of line, waiting for me to misinterpret a scripture, waiting for me to just blow it. No, no, no. My Jesus is the one that's weeping for me, with me not because of me. He loves me too much for that. John 11, we skip forward. Verse 38, then Jesus, again, wrenched in his gut, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was up against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Hey, let's get real, family. I love the King James Version of this. The King James Version says, he stinketh. Man, they nailed it, did they not, in the translation? He stinketh. Four days. What I'm saying is he's really dead because he stinketh. Lord, by this time there were, he stinketh, and he has been dead for four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The word glory means the manifest presence. You will see the glory of God, the manifest presence of God. That means when God shows up, something happens. That's all I'm saying. The presence of God manifesting moves things. He's saying you will see that if you believe. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. I love this. He's always thinking about everybody around him in the bigger picture. Jesus was a contextual thinker. Look what he says. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He knew. He he was like, I don't even have to do this because we've already had this conversation. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Jesus, again, thinking even through his grief as he wept for them, he's thinking about them. And he says this, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, the man who had died. Remember, he stinketh. He's dead. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips. If your feet are bound, do you know how you're coming out? You're hopping. You're bunny hopping. Can you imagine this sight? Can you imagine what people were thinking? It's hard to put yourself there in the picture. Use your sanctified imagination. Imagine it. Image it. He comes bound in grave linens, grave clothes. 
his face wrapped with a cloth. So he can't see, he can't walk, he's bound. And Jesus wasn't finished. The work's not done. Wouldn't it have been weird if he came out like that and everybody just started throwing a party right there and just left him bound? Man, let's go have a, you know, Jewish people, they're going to have a feast. Man, let's go cook some food. Let's, let's, let's get some olives out. Let's, let's get some, let's do this, get some bread going, and run off and have a party, and they leave the man bound. See, Jesus finishes what he starts, family. He's a work, he's got a work going, and he's going to finish what he starts. He says this, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The tragedy in the world, in the church world here, is that we will help somebody step over the line to join Christ, give their heart to Jesus, be born again, and then we go party. We go party. This man could not walk alone. He couldn't unbind his own grave clothes. He needed help. He needed community. Connection is protection. He needed people to help him unwrap those grave clothes. As much as we would like to do it alone, listen, I was born and raised in Texas. I'm an independent of independence. I mean, I, it's in my DNA. But God loves me so much, he puts me in constant situations where I have to ask for help. It kills me every time, but I have to because I cannot do it alone. I need you. I need you. And guess what? We need each other, family, because most of us still got some grave clothes hanging off of us. Can we just be real? The residue of our past, the residue of trauma from the past, the residue of the things that we've been through that we're not quite free from, just because you're saved and born again doesn't mean you're still not wrapped up in grave clothes. Somewhere along the line, we bought this false idea that we get saved and everything's a blank slate from there and everything's up from there. But listen, there is still work to do. Can I get an amen? Man, getting born again is the kickoff, not the touchdown. It's just the coin toss of the game. We're just getting started. It's called discipleship, and it is an ongoing adventure. Do the work. We get to do this. We get to grow. We get to be cultivated. We get to develop. We get to expand. We get to learn. We get to throw off our grave clothes, and God will send people all along the way, and he'll say these words, unbind him, unbind her, and let him go. Let her go. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we... Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, oh, there's so many layers to this. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface of this. I pray for my friends here today and those that are watching online as well. Would you give us the grace to sit with our collective mourning right now? 
the world as we knew it or thought we knew it has changed in a one year's time. The way we work, the way we travel, the way we shop, the way we navigate life itself has been altered. And many here, they're either grieving and don't know it or they need to. So I'm asking, Father, for a favor. Would you release grace upon us to grieve well, to grieve properly, to sit with these crazy thoughts and emotions that we're feeling and to not judge those thoughts, but to simply let them be what they are so that we can catch our breath. Father, even now, I'm just speaking over all of us. And I say us because I'm in this with you. We're in this together right now. Whatever you're feeling, whatever emotions you've been dealing with, whatever has been occupying your brain space lately, can you just sit with that for a minute? Don't judge it. Don't try to fix it. Just let it be what it is. Not good, not bad, just is. And as you let it sit, and as you sit with it right now in this place, take a breath. Pause and take a breath. God's got this, but better yet, He's got you. He's got you. Father, would you teach us on this journey of growth and faith and development how to sit with these things and, and push away far enough that we can navigate well using the fruit of the Spirit self-control the gift that you give us you've not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind the ability to think well thank you for that gift so Lord would you give us just enough space from what we're feeling what we're experiencing what we're going through that we may think well your word says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we're to be transformed not only by the renewing of our mind, but by changing the way we think. So would you give us grace to employ this word, employ these tools so that we can get help that we need, that our hope would be restored, and that we can begin to peel away the grave clothes sometimes we stinketh too we love you Lord I pray for all my friends here Holy Spirit do the work that needs to be done here today we love you in Jesus name everyone said could we worship on our way out and thank God for his goodness amen let's all stand together let's worship
We've seen what you can do, oh God of wonders. Your power has no end. The things you've done before in greater measure, you will do again. Cause there's no prison wall you can't break through. And you can't move all things are possible there's no broken body you can't raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible the darkest night you can light it Crumble. I hear the chains 
That is our cry, that is our prayer, that is our declaration. We love you, Father. We love you. As we navigate this week, remind us, Holy Spirit, seal what we're learning. Seal in us. You are the spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth. Seal what you're teaching us. Lord, that the enemy will not steal a single seed of what has come into our soil today. We love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. We will see you on Easter for a celebration.